This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. Well, hello there again, friends, and back for yet another podcast. And we've been really, really smashing them out and catching up with some awesome people, as always. And today, no exception, I'm welcoming to the Saving Brothers platform, Rob Cook. Hey, brother, how's your day going out of 10, Rob? You know what? Today has been an interesting day. It's had its highs and its lows, but for me, I'll say it's probably a seven. It's good. Okay. And what about today for you has made it a seven, Rob? Well, for me personally, I always start my day off with a little bit of reflection. I'm a I'm a faith-based guy, so I read scripture and I work out. And if I can start my day off with those three things, it's a great start to my day. And I got to do those things this morning. Really felt good doing those. And then uh, work's been good. You know, it's, work's always a grind to some extent, but I always get excited when at the end of the day, I got something like this to look forward to. Oh, thanks, buddy. And, and interestingly, because we're, we're at the opposite ends of the world, and I'm about to ask you where you're from. It's 8.09 a.m. here in for me in Melbourne, Australia. And funny enough, it's my third podcast of the morning. But I love this because I just get so energized by the wonderful discussions. And I know that this is going to be one of those because I feel I come out of them. I get a lot of lessons myself. And a lot of the things we all intuitively know but do we do them? So one of the wonderful things about, I think, podcasts is they're a great reminder of mm, how to sure. behave and be a better person and a better version of ourselves. And that's one of the keys at Saving Brothers, actually, Rob, which is how do we help brothers be the best version of themselves in all their aspects of life? Really important. Rob, let me start out. Whereabouts are you from? Where are you based? Yeah, I'm based actually out of Sacramento, California. I was born and raised here, left for a few years for school and other adventures while I was in college. Wife and I got married and moved off to the Bay Area and then eventually came back here when we were trying to raise a family. Nice. I mean, I'm not off air. I was shamed here. I've certainly been to LA and parts of California. Sacramento, what you were telling me, I mean, what were you saying? Tahoe was what, an hour away? Yeah. Beach close? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I was telling you before, Sacramento's the forgotten gem of California in my mind's eye. Really? People go down to LA and too much traffic, but people love Disneyland. Right. Or they go to the Bay Area because of the the tech scene. But frankly, there's way too many people there too. <laughs> if you come out here to Sacramento, there's not nearly the number of people and we're an hour from the beach, an hour from the snow. Beautiful, nestled right here in the agricultural valley. You got farm to table food. It's just amazing. It's a great place to be. I, I, I've already... Put in my head, that's going on my bucket list. I'm going to go there. So I've got some plans. I've got a bunch of friends over in the States. In fact, I'm off going to Florida and Jacksonville, Cocoa Beach and Mm -hmm. Miami. And now I'm going to make sure I get to Sacramento because I've definitely been to San Fran and L.A. uh, and Santa Monica. But you've inspired and excited me. Come for the food. Even just the food itself would be worth it. Yeah, well, I like my food and I like my wine. So what I wanted to unpack today is a little around, firstly, Rob, tell us about Rob Cook. What's your journey, who you are, how you've landed here talking to Phil Robertson at Saving Brothers. Tell us your backstory, please, Rob. Oh, man. Well, how much of the backstory do you want? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the sh- I'll give you the shorter version then, Phil, because I don't want to take you too long here. But the short version is... Um, I feel like I'm like a lot of the other guys out there nowadays. You know, we're working hard, 
trying to create the best lives that we can for our families. And every once in a while, we stick our heads up and go, am I on the right path? Am I going forward where I want to be? Am I going in the right direction? Right. And, uh, I've been one of those ever since I was a kid that's always been really reflective, always kind of looking out, trying to figure out where I should go. I'm a CPA and a certified financial planner by background. Now, I wasn't always going to be that way. In fact, if you had asked me when I was in high school what I was going to be, I was going to be a dentist of all things. But I'm 6'5", 235, putting my hands inside someone's mouth. My wife always says that would have never worked out as a, as a career. But um, you got to stretch further. Yeah, oh. come on, come on, open up a little more. No, yeah, yeah. it was never going to work out. I can see the nurse kind of trying to just hold that sucker back. <laughs> exactly. Or I'd have to get really good with those tools. But uh, yeah, so I actually have a training as a CPA, certified public accountant and a certified financial planner. I worked in public accounting, but ultimately knew I wanted to do something that really impacted people. And I felt like I was too removed from the end results. I was just part of this big cog. I was fortunate enough to be at a great international accounting firm. That was in part just because of my education background. But they just gave me opportunities, but I wanted more. I want to be closer. So I got into financial planning and wealth management and I loved the people that I was working with. I loved being able to help people, but I've always been a little bit of an entrepreneurial minded person. And so I cannot help it if I get into something and I go, that's broken or that doesn't work the way it could, or we could improve it this way. Why don't we do that? And I try to be an entrepreneur when I'm in those types of environments, but sometimes after a while you go, okay, if you're not going to fix it, then I'm gonna go fix it. And so I kept running into uh, some problems with uh, trying to serve my clients. And eventually this company called Elements, where I work at currently, that uh, is a startup trying to solve some great issues around how advisors serve their clients and provide value consistently. Um, I got approached by them and they just, they said, hey, let's, let's bring you on, Rob. Let's make you part of the team. Let's make you part of the ownership here. And you help us really take this thing and run with it. And so I've been with them for a little while now, loving it, really enjoying it. Um, but the other part of me, that's like my little passion project, my creative outsource and kind of my way of connecting with people, my people and my tribe is I have a podcast called contenders wanted. And it's all about solving your money problems without sacrificing what's most important in life. Because at the end of the day, we all want financial freedom. But if we sacrifice the things that, that really will bring us joy and happiness, once we have some version of financial freedom, what's the point of it? Why do we go and obtain any sort of monetary wealth? More often than not, it's to put it back into our families, our communities, or those groups that we care about passionately. And But if we lose contact with them in the process, or we get so focused in our path that we lose them along the way, or forget them, or we lose that part of ourselves, then why did we do it? And so on the show, we dive into the inflection points of people's journeys, how they went from contender to champion, suddenly changing their financial lives. And we figure out how do we do that the right way? How do we maintain the balance? How do we create the financial freedom that we're hoping for, but we do it purposefully so we don't lose those things that are most important? Yeah, I'm absolutely loving this because I I think the problem is for a lot of us, we're on the treadmill of life and we're trying to not just make the paycheck, but we're trying to maybe save for the college fund in yeah. your country or university, we call it here in Australia, and or put the kids through grammar school or just be able to just have a holiday once a year and we and where our head is down, but we're not smelling the roses along the way. Yeah. We're not enjoying the journey. And there is one of the biggest issues, and you'd know this, is people then get out of balance. Yep. 
and something's got to give. I mean, for me, it was my health. At 47, I, re- I ran a mortgage practice. I was a mortgage broker for 19 years, had a really successful practice. The, the global financial crisis hit and that really skittled mm. my revenue because I had my own finance product. So my we were raising capital and then reselling that as a mortgage and uh, my revenue dropped 70% almost overnight and I just bought this monster house and uh, I had the cars on, le- you know, on lease and I was negative yeah. equity. I was under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and then ended up with prostate cancer at age 47. So it manifested in, in a way, I've always believed, yep. in the stress came out in, in a format of, of cancer. And often else, I think we, we're, we're pushing so hard that men often drop dead of things that are preventable, such as cardiac disease, which is kind of dovetails into what part of the, the bigger journey is with us here at Saving Brothers. So I'm really, really glad. with what you're doing and your podcast sounds amazing because you're spot on. We're just so out of balance as humans. And I think this last couple of years, Rob, with the pandemic and the way we've had to adjust, I hate the word pivot, but I'm going to use it once and I'd never use that word because people kept saying, oh, we're pivoting, we're pivoting. It's like, man, you really? No. After a while, have you not travelled? You're playing basketball. You pivot, 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 but you lift up the pivot foot. Have you not traveled at this point eventually? <laughs> yeah, well, I must have been. I don't mind my basketball, and I had watched a few games in the States, so I certainly was there the night that Steph Curry hit the all-time three-point uh, record. Oh, that was a good game. Yeah, I was there when I uh, watched the Golden State. It was uh, pretty cool when I was in San Fran. But I think the way the world's been, we've had to adopt, adapt, be flexible, in the way we've had to approach doing business and, and doing life. Yep. And uh, it's certainly created a lot of pressures. What do you think is some of it for your clients your, that you're working? What are some of the commonalities that are in people's journey to, let's call it, financial freedom? Well, there's a number of things that I could share, frankly. Um, the first one I'm actually going to share, I think it, people might not expect, but for those who pursue financial freedom, and do it, quote unquote, the right way, whatever that is for each of us, right? Maintaining some version of that balance. They're the first thing that I noticed amongst all of these people is that they are incredibly driven and incredibly focused, but they're also very purposeful in all of the areas of their lives. So for example, they might have be really driven and purposeful with their business, right? That's a common characteristic of a lot of people who are very successful. They kind of have that one track mind. They see the the issue or problem they're going to solve and they they keep pushing until they they reach their goal, right? In some way, that's a very common characteristic. But the thing that I think differentiates those who keep the balance and those who don't is that they bring that same level of focus and intensity to the areas outside of their lives that are most important to them. So a good example of this um, would be... um, Kyle Marco, very first episode that I had. He's a, he's a young kid, great young kid, who became effectively what's called a real estate syndicator, which just means he raises money for going out and purchasing apartment complexes. Yep. Um, singular focus and the fact that he was willing to give up a college scholarship to make a bet on himself and try for a better life for his family quicker than he would have, he was being sold on and told by m- most of modern society. But then, Along the way, he, he explains how he used this process of effectively self-reflection and returning to his roots, which happened to be also faith roots, uh, similar to me, to 
maintain that perspective the whole way through. And now that he has created the financial freedom, he uses his energies and his time and his skills that he's created in this space to create um, housing for missionary type efforts and for faith-based type projects. And so for him, he did it, all of this with that end goal in mind. And then he maintained his connection to those things along the way so that when he got to his destination, he was finally able to do those things he wanted to do. It wasn't like, oh, now I have to rediscover it and have to refigure it out. He already had the connections. He already had the people. He already had the ability to do it. And he just, he was doing it. Yeah, I think that's wonderful because I think too often something's got to give or something gets sacrificed, whether it's time with family, whether it's time with friends, whether it's time for yourself. Mm-hmm. We get so caught up in being caught up and some people can be so purpose-driven but they their lives get out of balance, including their health. Yeah. Another thing, actually, that if you don't mind me pointing out that just kind of came to mind as you are talking about this here, um, I think patience is one of the most underrated attributes that someone can have who's striving to be successful financially. Um, and I'm not even talking necessarily maybe like a financial markets term that you might hear that a lot of times. But I'm talking about there's so much of this keeping up with the Joneses and I have to go a thousand miles an hour or else yeah. I'm going to get left behind or I'm not going to measure up to so-and-so who I've now started comparing myself to. If we can learn, one of the things I've noticed amongst a lot of my guests is that Yes, they're driven. Yes, they are focused. Yes, they are intense a lot of times. I mean, who'd have thought? I'm an intense guy and they attract intense people to me. But they're patient. They're willing to grind and maybe slow down how quickly they reach their goal so they can maintain the balance. Or they're willing to make sacrifices in other areas and keep those things that are most important and delay their gratification a little bit longer. Delay the need to do certain things. Because if you truly believe that life is abundant, that there is an abundance of opportunities out there and there's an abundance of wealth that can be created. Why are you so worried about getting it done yesterday? That is brilliant. That is so cool. Absolutely right. And I think one of the challenges I'm seeing and observing, I wonder what you're seeing, Rob, is that particularly with the, the younger generations coming through, they, this whole instant gratification it's like, I've I, I got to have it now. I've got to have it now. Yeah. They're not, there's, there's, there is that lack of patience. I mean, with me, I've got a very clear vision, for example, of Saving Brothers, and I run a property company outside of this, but I know where Saving Brothers is heading. We're on a journey on mm-hmm. building a legacy. It doesn't have to happen in the next five minutes. I've already been building this for the last two years to get it to where it is now, and I know that it keeps evolving, and I am eternally patient with it because wonderful people like you come into our world and it's like, oh, great, this opens up another pathway of discussion, opportunity, and then it makes me think, oh, okay, maybe we could do things better, better, different. Yeah. So important patience, absolutely. Playing the long game, I reckon, Mm -hmm. is, is one of the keys. Yeah. No, you definitely have to play the long game. If you're, if you get distracted by the short game, you get distracted by the glitz and glam and the, the uh what's the the phrase that's always used in entrepreneurship you know the the glitter uh the uh yeah spacing the, here. But you know exactly, the shiny object syndrome that's what i was thinking of if we get distracted by all the shiny objects out there you'll never actually get there because in order to actually reach our goals th- there's this um you ever heard the, the the phrase uh think fast and slow 
you know, or, or go slow to go fast. You ever heard either of those phrases? Yeah, slow down to go faster. Slow down to go fast. Yeah. I think that phrase is so underappreciated. One of the most beneficial things for me personally in my own journey has been forcing myself to slow down, to take time literally to just do nothing, to re- to reflect, to write, to allow my brain to slow down and process things that are going on. And it's allowed me to go faster because I'm far more purposeful. I can be, I can be more strategic, all sorts of things. But if we're just occupied with the next shiny object, hoping that it's going to get us to where we need to be or get us the, the financial freedom that we're hoping for, and it's going to solve our money problems, what we find is a lot of times those promises are pretty empty because it doesn't totally fit, agree. right? Yeah. A and if we were more, more purposeful, we could have been more strategic and thoughtful and chosen the ones that's going to give us a higher likelihood of getting us where we want to go in the long term, in the long run anyways. Yeah. A buddy of mine, actually, we talk, we were talking about shiny object syndrome. Rob. He is uh, he's six, he's a little bit bigger than you. I reckon he's about six seven. From uh, he's from That's Texas. A big dude. He's a big fella. He's a big bear, actually, bear of a man, but a beautiful heart. And his name is John Jackson. We call him JJ. And he okay. said to me, Phil, like I, I was running an affiliate marketing business and and doing other things, running a property business, and he, and and I was a little bit in scatterbrain mode about three years ago. And he said to me, Phil, or in his, in his accent, Phil, how many rabbits can you chase at one time? Mm, yeah. And I thought, wow, that stopped me, Rob, in my tracks. It was like, yeah, focus on a, one thing. Yeah. Really focus. And I love what you said. Stop, slow down, think. I walk every morning, Rob. I go for a walk in nature. Things like behind me, you'll see there's a hashtag, Keep Five Alive, which is a program, a global program about men's health that I've created. That came to me in silence and peace on Mm -hmm. a walk. When I was walking out in nature one day, I thought, how can I connect with five brothers who are going to help five brothers be accountable for their physical and mental health? And then they teach five brothers who teach five brothers who teach five brothers. And exponentially, we've just influenced 245 million men when you take it down 11 levels. Yeah. That idea came to me quiet. It's, so so it, it's those opportunities where we actually slow down and actually create the space to have inspiration, revelation, you know, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, If if we don't create the space for that, they'll never come. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. The the late, great Stephen Covey, I've got one of his recordings. Yep. Seven habits of highly effective people. He talks about this scenario where this guy's so busy being busy. And the way he talks about it is he's got the ax and he's chopping down the tree, chop, 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 chop. And then his next tree, chop, 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 chop. And then he gets on his ladder and he gets to the top of a tree and he looks around and he goes, oh, wrong jungle. (laughs) Hello, you know. It's like it's because so much people head down on the treadmill of life, don't stop, slow down and smell the roses as they say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I really like that. I really, really like that. So let me ask you this. How do I know what path? It's a pretty deep question, I reckon. How do I know what path I should take to get 
whatever that means, financial freedom. And, of course, it means different things to each of, each of us. Yeah. How do we know if we're on the right path? Oh, well, so I think you asked two different questions there because you asked, how do I know if I'm on the right path or how do I choose a path? That almost feels like two different questions. Yeah, we'll right? come back into two different questions if you like. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with your, your last one first. You know, how do I know I'm on the right path? Well, I would say the only way to know if you're on the right path is to look ahead on that path. See, where does it lead to? And are you going to want to be there? Like that? If, if you look ahead and you go, mm, not so much, then you need a course correct. And sometimes you look ahead and you go, heck no. I was in public accounting here in the US and it w- it's a great, public accounting is a great profession. There's a lot of people that do it very well, very well. But for me personally, I looked up and I looked around and I went, okay, you can make a lot of money here for sure. There's partners at my firm that were making millions of dollars a year, definitely. But then I looked and I observed, okay, well, what does the rest of their life look like? What does the relationships look like with their children or their spouse or just for themselves? Do they have balance in any way? Is there a point where they make a decent amount of money and they have flexibility, more flexibility? And I, if I would ask them, they'd say, oh, yeah, no, no, I definitely, I definitely do. I definitely do. And then I'd look around and I go, but wait a second, you missed out on X, Y, and Z. And then you were here till 2 a.m. just like I was, and I'm the staff. Why, why are you still here? <laughs> you know, and I think in part that may have just been culturally for my, my firm. Um, but I think the principle is a good one. Look ahead. Look ahead for those who are maybe a, a decade or two ahead of you and the path that you're taking in some form. Do you want their life? And if you don't, make a change like I did. Well, that reminds me of the story you shared with us earlier about the real estate syndicator. He said, no, I don't want to go down that path of of going to college. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. Yeah. He was actually going to school to be a neurosurgeon. (laughs) He was a very smart guy. And he had a full-ride scholarship, and he left it all to make a bet on himself and to this life that he wanted to be able to create. And now he's not even 30 and he has a life that most people would dream of, frankly. Yeah. Uh, but he, he skipped a decade or two, looked down the path, as you say, Rob, and went, is that the life I want to lead? Absolutely. I think that's a really, really good, really good way of uh, analyzing that. I love that. Now to answer your other question of how do I choose the path or how do, how do I get on the right path for me? Um, that I think requires less long-term reflection and well, maybe a little bit of long-term reflection because once again, you need to think, okay, where do I want to go? But it does also require some personal introspection now. What are my strengths? What is the skill set that I currently have or the skill set that I need to get to where I need to be? I think if you can answer questions like those and others like them, that will then inform what your next step should be because none of us is ever going to know the full path, right? There's not a chance we see through a glass darkly and we, a lot of times we only see the next one or two steps ahead of us. But if we can at least think, okay, strategically, I know that I'm trying to get here somewhere out in the distant future. If I'm pointed in the right direction and I know generally what my next step should be, I know that I'm on the right path, right? Even if you think, man, this, this path sucks for now because it's going uphill and uh, I've got a 50 pound pack on me. That's okay. 
maybe eventually you just get to the hill fast, top of the hill faster. Who knows? You know what I mean? Um, I think you need to have the self-awareness to know yourself, what your strengths, your weaknesses, your key attributes and skills that you could harness, and then what you're lacking and how then you make a plan to fill that gap. And that determines the path that you take to go towards financial freedom. So for example, a gentleman who thinks they want to reach financial freedom through entrepreneurship and starting their own business is a very different path from someone who says, no, my definition of financial freedom is killing it in the corporate life and going that direction and just becoming, you know, the the CEO of a business one day. Well, those are two very different paths. Even if you don't want to be the CEO, it's still just a very different path, entrepreneurship versus the other. Um, uh, And so I think it really all depends on you and your personal skills. Yeah, I think some self-evaluation is is what I'm hearing. And I I totally agree. And and understanding your values. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of us go about life, Rob, and I wonder in the conversations you're having when you're working with people is that they don't feel that they have a real purpose. They're not Mm purpose-driven. And that's why I think a lot of guys, particularly when they get to their 40s, that they have that kind of feeling of, well, is this all there is? Now, we have this midlife crisis that certainly in my country, I don't know if you talk that language in the States, but we talk about, the yeah, the midlife crisis where perhaps they've gone to college or university and perhaps they're influenced by their parents that you should be a neurosurgeon like that fellow when he chose a different path or you should follow the path of this way or getting into sales or whatever it might well be. Then they start a family and then one day they wake up and go, I just kind of feel lost. I don't, I feel empty. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you're in the discussions you're having with people who are seeking nirvana, the holy grail of whatever that means to them? You, do you get that sort of, do you, do you have that sort of experience with, particularly with fellows, with men? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I'm not actually a, like a, a coach in any normal way, I guess is the right way to say that. Uh, I just do my podcast as my passion project. But as a result of that, I do have conversations with other listeners and things that I could you know, probably try and answer this question through. Um, I'd say for those who are searching and who feel lost, more often than not, it is because they don't know what they want or what they value. Yes, is the short answer. Um, I can specifically, specifically think of a couple of different conversations I've had with individuals where they said, well, Rob, you know, I, I just know that I want I want financial freedom or I just know that I want to make money or, you know, fill in the blank for whatever that might be for them. However they want to describe it. I said, okay, well, and they're like, I, I just don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And you'd be surprised at me. Well, what do you mean? What do I want to do? Well, you know, I mean, if you could, you know, step back and picture a perfect world and, you know, what would you want your life to look like? Maybe that's a better way to describe it. And they go, um, I don't know. I just want to have enough money. I could take my family on vacation. Okay, good. That's a good start, but more. Dig a little deeper, right? Um, I think more often than not, we don't dig deep enough. We just kind of have a general feeling. And so we're kind of, it's like being blind, reaching about trying to find the thing that's going to get us what we want. But the more we can open our eyes and the more we can get more clarity and see more clearly what it is that we're actually aiming for, the easier it is to get there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that comes back to what you brilliantly highlighted before is we don't stop, slow down 
And perhaps in those moments, that's the time when we can start to declutter and get some clarity, Rob. But I think, again, people are so busy spinning plates, running so hard that by running it at at such breakneck speed, it's actually doing themselves a disservice because they're not in a flow state because they haven't taken the time to invest in themselves and really give it some thought. I think a lot of people just, yeah, they drift. They don't give it enough attention to, well, what happened? And I think people forget that this is not a dress rehearsal. They have one life in this current vessel and so they kind of, in fact, I interviewed a fellow, Clint Arthur, he's an entrepreneur, guy out of Hollywood and he went to the Wharton Business School and uh, has has worked with five US presidents and and Oprah and some incredible people around. Yeah, some very, very big hitters. And he talked about how he lives his life Someone gave him the idea, live it as if you've got one year left. Yeah. So like what that. are all the things you would love to achieve in the next year if this was your last year on this earth? And I thought, wow, that's powerful because I think we kind of just think, you know, life just goes along. But if there's a finality, a finish line, you go, right, this is it, Rob Cook. you got one year, buddy. You better yeah. cram all in or you're going to go and kick the bucket and feel like, hey, maybe some things you could have done, should have done, didn't get done. Yeah. I like that. Create a sense of urgency. Yeah, actually, this reminds me of something I encouraged someone to do one time. I came across this concept of a legacy letter. You ever heard of a legacy letter? I haven't, but I like the idea of it. So effectively, what it is, is you write a letter to your next of kin, however you want to describe it, or someone who you care about, as if it's the end of your life. And what it does is it forces your brain to go there. What do you hope would have happened? What do you hope you would have created? What do you hope your legacy will be? And then all of a sudden, you see the gap between where you're at and where you you realize where you really want to be. And then naturally, you start to move that direction. You know, of course, as after you write the letter, you can then, of course, you know, make steps, make a plan and steps to try and get there. But that's, um, that's something I would definitely recommend. Actually, when I came across it, I wrote a letter to my little girl as if, you know, something had happened to me um, a couple of years, you know, from now type of thing. And I said, okay, well, what are the most important lessons I hope that I've taught her? What are the tools that I hope I've equipped her with? What are the, how do I hope she remembers me? And that has informed so much of why I do what I do and how I hope to interact with her on a daily basis now. Yeah, I love that. You, of course, you would have heard of Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, and I'm lucky I can say I've seen him live and I've followed a lot of his teachings. But I remember the one very similar to what you're saying there with the legacy letter, Rob, and that is do the rocking chair test as if you're nearing the end of your life, you're sitting on the mm-hmm. front porch in a rocking test, rocking chair rather, and you're reflecting on your life and what you've done and what you haven't done. And you, in your mind, go there and you think, am I happy? looking back and reflecting on my life. And that's a powerful thing to do, yeah. particularly if you really get present and do, do the exercise. And then if you haven't done the things that you should have done, as he says, we should have done this, we should have done that, and in the end we should all over ourselves. But, like, but basically the idea is, again, very similar to your legacy letter. It's yeah. like, hmm, okay, so there's a bunch of things I, I've been thinking about doing that I actually haven't done. And I'd be disappointed in myself and my life's journey if I didn't do them. Now I can take some corrective action, change my behaviours 
and start to do those things. So uh, I love that idea of your legacy letter and what you're doing also incorporating it into being a better father to your daughter. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful, brother. You're telling me you got your priorities in check, nicely aligned. Well, hey, I'll be the first to admit I'm not perfect at this, but I am trying. And I think at the end of the day, that's all we can do. So let's just keep on trying. Let's just keep doing our best. Instead of beating ourselves up, instead of feeling bad and feeling like we're a schmuck, which let's be real, we all feel like that enough and we do that to ourselves enough. Just get up and try again. Man up, get up and try again. Yeah, absolutely. Don't give up. I love what Les Brown says. If you heard of Les Brown, Mm -hmm. if you can walk up, you can get up. And I think that's a great way to live life, a metaphor. A buddy of mine that I interviewed in Australia last night, uh, he ran what's called the World Masters of Business and he brought to Australia Lee Iacocca, who turned around Ford, Chrysler Corporation. Mm -hmm. Uh, He brought Stephen Covey, the late, great Stephen Covey to Australia. General Norman Storman Schwarzkopf. Really? And President Gorbachev from Russia. Wow. Yeah, he brought some 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 big hitters and he wrote a book called Never Give Up. Mm. Same thing. Just, yep. you know what, we all do stuff, there are results. And I think the important thing is they don't necessarily always define us. And it's important to be flexible and take the lessons from that. Your job thing as a fine, I'm going to just talk about this for a minute. Your job yeah. as a financial advisor, why did you, why did you leave your old job as a, as a financial advisor? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, uh, I have never been asked this question, uh, at least not publicly. And so I will be a little bit more honest, perhaps, than I, I not honest, but I'll, I'll dis- disclose a little more than I maybe have in the past. Um, I honestly believe that the financial advisory model that most firms use nowadays is broken. There is a reason why people don't, people of means or people who generate wealth don't use financial advisors. (laughs) Or if they use them, they use them in a limited capacity for very specific things. Um, That's because most of the financial advisory industry is obsessed with investments, just that investment advisory. And there are at least a couple generations of us now that have been raised on this idea of the Jack Vogel, Vanguard, passive investing, low cost index fund will get you 90% of the way there. And we're right. That's true. Period. I mean, you can look at all sorts of studies that have been shown that that's true. Okay, now, some might argue, well, there's additional alpha that you can get, meaning additional return if you have X, Y, Z. And the the if is a big if, because most of the time, no one can predict who or what that if is. And yet, the whole industry is continues to be obsessed by it. And I believe that financial advisors, specifically those who are certified financial planners or CPAs and other, you know, other certified individuals like myself, who have expertise in other areas and usually do try and provide value in other areas, often get thrown in the same bucket. And the big firms out there, like the one that I was a part of, are still set on this old model. But I think we're on the precipice of a big change, a change where the consumer no longer values an advisor who is, well, most 
consumers don't value an advisor who's just, all he talks about is investments or all he does is sell you insurance. Because yes, there is a place for those things. But there is so much more to our financial lives. So much more that impacts them. And frankly, what I believe, an advisor has the ability to add so much more value. But we, as in a profession, do not provide any form of output in terms of deliverables or conversations or even the way we charge our fees to our clients most of the time that moves beyond the product or the investments that we're attempting to sell people. And I think that there's something wrong with that. And I attempted to try and change the way that I was doing my investment and my financial advising, my trying to become a trusted advisor, a personal CFO is what I used to try and call it when I was trying to be a financial advisor within this old firm, the entrepreneur, like I referenced earlier. But I kept being told, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And that was frustrating. And I was okay. Hey, sometimes, you know, we hit walls and we got to keep fighting, keep moving. We figure it out. And that's the, that's a hallmark of anyone who's successful. You got to keep trying. So I just kept trying, kept trying to figure it out. And then this firm, my company, Elements, approached me. And what we're doing at Elements is we've created a financial planning system that actually is truly holistic, actually enables your advisor to provide you advice on all those other areas and actually gets away from just the investment side of things and enables them to have a platform where they could charge fees, not on the AUM, not on the sale of a certain product, but just because you value their advice just because they can help you. And that, I think, is a powerful model. And so us at Elements, we're trying to help the profession move that direction. We're trying to give what we believe consumers want, which is access to knowledgeable individuals who can help them in other areas that are not going to try and sell them a product or force them to give them their money to take a little percentage off of every single year. So... yeah. That's why. So I is that a fee for service model, Rob? Hmm? Is that is because in Australia, mm-hmm. like they abolished trailing commissions on products mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. financial services industry, yep. and it's turned much more now to a fee for service model. Mm-hmm. Well, most but of I, those that you see are what are called AUM type models, assets under right. management. Give me a pile of money, I'll manage it because I'm your investment advisor, and I only know what's good for your money. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I think there that, are some people who want that and that's totally okay. There will always be people who want someone to just look after it for them and manage it for them. It's never going to go away completely. But there is a yeah. whole swath of the world that don't have a pile of money or who just want good service from someone who's knowledgeable, who can answer questions for them and help them think of things that they just don't know that they don't know. Um, and that's what we're trying to help those advisors better serve I those love people. that. Because real estate's an example. I mean, I run a property yep. buying service. I buy properties for clients. They pay me a service. Mm-hmm. And I've always had my challenges with the financial services model because I think it's BS. Because it's like, oh, we're here to advise you on building your wealth. It's like, that's bullshit because property is a huge component of that. And it's like, oh, no, but we're not allowed to advise on that. It's like, well, what are you doing? You're yep. out of Agreed. And I would argue that most financial advisors don't want to get within a 10-foot pole of real estate because they don't understand it. And they don't get paid for it. Yep. They don't get paid for it and they don't understand it. And so they don't want to stub their toe and look dumb. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I think we, you and I are really philosophically aligned there, Rob, because I've often thought, you know what? It's bullshit. It really is. I'm sorry I'm using that language, but, but it's BS ultimately because you're not really 
giving people advice, and I love what you're saying at Elements, it's a holistic, whole-of-life approach really, which is that's what it is about. Not everybody's got a million dollars and say, Rob, help me go and make this, turn it into five million over the next Agreed. thing. It's like, hey, I might just have my, I, I, I got $20,000, Rob. What can I do? My goal is to put my child through college. How can we make that work? Yep. And let me tell you this, Phil, this is actually funny. This is what actually got me tuned into this uh, probably about, it was almost two years ago at this point. Um, I got into the financial services industry because I wanted to help people because I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And I wanted to do something, especially once we, once I narrowed it down to finances, that help them make more money, help them reach financial freedom in some way. Right. And I had a family friend, I have a family friend who's very, very, very wealthy, tens of millions of dollars wealthy. And I interviewed him as part of the podcast. And after we had stopped recording, I said, let's just say his name is Joe. Hey, Joe, you know me, you know my family, you know I'm getting in this industry. I would love to serve people like you one day. What would you do if you were in my shoes, starting out to try and serve individuals like you? And he's, he's a really nice guy. He's very genuine and honest. And he goes, Rob, I'm going to give it to you straight. I don't hire guys like you because I don't need guys like you. And I, it stopped me in my tracks. So I, I was like, wait, yeah. wait, excuse me? And I was like, well, Joe, wait, Joe, what do you mean? And he goes, Rob, I know how to make money. I don't need someone to pretend like they can make money for me. I know how to make money. Far better than any financial advisor knows how to make money. If anything, I just throw them a bone every once in a while. And I was like, oh my gosh, totally shattered my world because I thought that was what I was going to do was help people make money, is help people reach financial freedom, help people have comfort and reach these goals. But all it was is I realized it was at best, it's a, we're trying to help you protect what you've already made at best. Those who do their best in that space, that's really what they're doing. They're not actually making a lot of money. And even if they try and convince you otherwise, they're lying through their teeth, in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you, Phil. My family grew up with real estate and entrepreneurship and business owners. And I wanted to help people like them. And I couldn't because most of them looked and said, we don't use those guys. We don't need them. We know how to make money. Yeah. And I've got to say, your friend will call him Joe. I tend to agree. It's like, you know what? If you guys were any bloody good at what you do, why do you think you were, why do you need to be a financial planner? Why would you just go and invest your own money? instead of trying to get commissions or fee for service of other yep. people. I got to tell you, I, I call it I call it as I see it, and I, I call BS. There's a book out there that I think you'll love. It's called Where Are All the Clients' Yachts? It actually breaks down this entire industry and my whole industry. And so I came across all this stuff over the course of a year, and I had such cognitive dissonance, I couldn't, I couldn't sell. I'll admit, I could not sell what I was doing in good faith, and I just I struggled for so long. And then when Elements came along, I thought, that is something I can sell because that is moving us in the direction where we should be. That Absolutely. is being a true fiduciary. That is truly, truly providing value to people. Do you know, it's, it, it, the alignment here is incredible because I'm, I'm thinking about when I, in my real estate business, and I was a mortgage broker and that gave me a nice mm -hmm. living and trailing income and the like. Uh, but when I was selling properties that are off the plan, we call it in Australia, meaning they're not built yet the commissions were like in aussie dollars like typically thirty thousand australian dollars for every sale but mm -hmm. not all the properties worked out well and i got to the point it was like i need to be able to look people in the eye i thought i was serving them i thought i was helping them but ultimately i in the end i just went you know what this is not good i'm not comfortable doing this yep. 
I became a buyer's agent where I now am paid a fee for service to go and find certain types of properties in regional cities, uh, which are not the main towns of Australia. I love it. I love helping my clients. I'm not selling them a property. I'm finding a, a property based on certain fundamentals. So I think the alignment of what you're doing at Elements really does absolutely gel with my philosophy. And I think it's, I wish more and more people would think that way. And, and, and you're right. We had a big, we had in Australia what's called the Royal Commission into the whole financial services industry. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, there are some real morons out there, unfortunately, still practicing that really, I think you're right. Yeah. Where are all the clients' yachts? I love that, Rob. That is, you have to I'm go look it up. Because I'm going to go, right, I got to get that book. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, I truly believe that there are many financial advisors who are trying to do good by their clients. I do not doubt that. In fact, I worked with many of them. But I think most of them, like so many of us, we just put our heads down and we just work. We don't look up and look around and go, what's wrong here, right? Or what's, what could we do better? Yeah. And so at Elements, we're trying to help lift their vision, help them see a better way, and then give them the tools to be able to do it successfully. Yeah, and empower them. Exactly, empower them. Yeah. yeah. Rob, I've got to say, I would love to keep chatting but I know you've got things to do as well. And I just want to give you the final word as we wrap up today's chat. Tell me what would be your parting advice to brothers around the world when it comes to this whole area of their journey around potentially building some financial wealth? Well, my parting advice is this. The only one who's going to control your financial destiny is you. You can't output it on anyone else. Do what you need to do to figure out what it is that you want. Look in the future like we've talked about. Take the time to self-reflect and then go get the skills. Because no, just like my buddy Joe has said, you don't need someone to make money for you. You can do it. I love that. I love that. Rob Cook, absolute pleasure today, brother, having you at Saving Brothers. Thank you, Bill. Really appreciate the invitation. I really appreciate you, Dave. And take care, brother, and really look forward to bringing you back as a guest another time. Would love that. Thank you. Take care of yourself, brother. Bye for now. This has been a Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.